Today, church, we celebrate our fourth birthday. As we cross over the threshold into our fifth year, I am believing God for a few things. So glad you're here this morning. So glad you're watching online. I am believing for a renewed passion of God's people to gather together. I believe when we gather together, there will be such an appreciation of hearing the voices, seeing the faces, the sense of community and worshiping together that it will overtake our services. If I could just get 50 people to understand the passion in this, I don't need a whole church excited today. I don't need everybody. I don't need two services. I don't need everybody online. But if we could just get a few people to understand that what we had taken away from us, which we didn't have for most of the last seven months, and we get together, we get to lift our voices and praise our God and see other people do it. Come on, we can get celebrate and get excited in church today. We didn't come all this way to be a quiet church. So excited to see your faces online and in person. Glad to be in presence. But there's something about hearing the voices in the room, isn't there? There's something. There's something. And sometimes when we come back as good Atlantic Canadians, we get back in a room and we just go into this be quiet mode. Listen, can I just challenge you? You may be from Atlantic Canada, but you don't need to act like you're from Atlantic Canada. There is a passion in the room because God has saved us. God has seen us through this season, and we're still standing. We're still here, and we're still excited about what God is doing in our life. Can somebody say amen today? Come on, look at, look at your neighbor and say, I'm excited today. You can grab a seat today. We're so glad. Again, say it again. We're glad you're watching us online on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're staying online. You're always going to see us, but we are in person today, and uh, we are excited to be able to see some faces in the room. How many are excited to be in church today? Anybody in this place? I want to start off by just saying thank you, church. Thank you, church. Uh, we haven't met in person on Sunday mornings for seven months, and uh, I want to thank you for your faithfulness as a church. These last 19 months have been challenging. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, someday I'm going to write a book or write a course for Bible colleges, and it's everything they didn't teach you in Bible college. No one talked about pandemics or this stuff. They didn't prepare you for this. Some of you were homeschooling your kids, and some of you had no business homeschooling your kids. Because I've seen, I've seen your writing, your spelling, and your math. And we won't see the harvest until 20 years from now when no one knows how to spell anything. I was not made to homeschool my kids. Uh, but these last 19 months, last seven, not gathering in person, I want to thank you, church, for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for keeping the main thing the main thing. I've seen it elsewhere, and I thank God for his goodness and your faithfulness. That We haven't dealt with it in our church, but so many spiritual communities got divided and frustrated and fighting over smaller things. But we as a church have kept the main thing the main thing, which is loving God and loving people and helping people far from God come close to God. And those that don't know God find a place where they can know him. And those of us that know God to keep growing in our faith. And I want to honor you for your attendance, for your help online, for your giving, for your serving, for your encouragement in all areas. And we want to thank you. After 19 months, we are still standing. Uh, services are back in person. And who knows what's next? We're not through this yet. I've realized that. Um, someone said that we thought this was going to be a sprint and then 2020 ended, we realized it's going to be a marathon, and now we are into the fall of 21, and I think it's actually a triathlon. So someone's going to hand you a bathing suit and a bike, and we're going to figure this out. 
but we're going to get through this together. But I'm thankful for you today. We're very, very thankful to you. If you have your Bible today, John chapter 2. John chapter 2, I want to read today um, uh, God's holy word. I believe it will encourage you today. God has given me a word for this church, for this season. I believe it's going to bless you today as it focuses us, as it rallies us, as it launches us into this next season as a church. John chapter 2. I know it's been a while since we've been in person, but bring your Bible to church. There's something we'll bring in your Bible, marking up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see it on the screen behind me. Then I'll start reading in verse 17. Jesus here had just overturned some tables in the church. He got mad at church. Listen, sometimes you got to get mad. Sometimes you got to get passionate. Sometimes you got to show what God's put in your life. And Jesus was anything but timid. He was not timid or shy. And we pick it up here in verse 17. And it says, Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. I'm so thankful for a community of people that have a passion for God's house, both online and in person. That we don't attend church, that we are the church. We're not just coming to do our duty and click a box and say, all right, we just did our our good deed of the week, whether it be tune in or attend. But there's a passion for God's house, understanding that we're together, we can do more together than on our own. That God has called us to assemble. God has called us to be organized. God has called us to be the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then he said, but I'm leaving. And you are the light of the world. And I believe we are called to be lights in every school, every classroom, boardroom, downtown, in the suburbs. God's called us online and in person to be passionate. A passion for his house will consume us. I believe passion is rising in our church. Verse 18, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you this authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, all right, all right. Jesus says in verse 19, he says, destroy this temple that they're sitting in. Destroy this temple that we're sitting in, this, this mortar, these bricks, these, these wooden beams. They're, they were sitting in the middle of the synagogue in the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 20, what they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Today, I'm starting a series for the next few weeks, which we're going to speak to the very heart of your life and actually our community as a church. I want to title it Renovations. Renovations. I believe we as a church, I believe us as individuals, as relationships, we are under renovations. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the many, uh, even students that came to our city for the first time this fall that are tuning in online, and maybe even in person today. We thank you and we welcome them to our city. God, I pray that through the screen, whether they're local or far away, they feel your presence. I pray in person today that, God, we would not just come and register and get all dressed up just to attend an event. I'm asking for your presence today. Holy Spirit, I pray you would do more in these few moments than we could ever do on our own. I pray for a richness of your spirit. I pray that you would help us, lead us, that we'd leave here more in love with you, closer to you, and more focused on your voice. Father, thank you for what you've done in our church, and thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, as I, me and Nancy were preparing for the fall, coming back in person, I started asking God, God, I need a word for this next season. 
Because I realize, I don't think maybe you've realized, but though we haven't met in person or maybe you haven't gone to the office as much as you used to, maybe your offices are just starting to open up, maybe you didn't have the same commitments for sports, and even though we've been off school, we're more tired than we think. Have you realized that yet? Here's how I know I'm tired, is when I got to make usually, which would be a, a, a heavy decision, in this season, when I get made a heavy decision, it seems like an impossible decision. When something comes up where we got to have a tough conversation with somebody relationally or church ministry-wise, I just feel like it's the weight of the world. Maybe you've had a tough decision, maybe a repair in your house or a bill or something with relationships. And at that moment, you realize, I think I'm more tired than we think. It's funny, we've never had more time home, we've never had less on our schedule, but we've also never been more fatigued. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying right now? Going into this season, I said, God, I know we're about to meet in person, but I just don't, I'm not looking to just gather in person. God, this does not check a box. This is not enough. I need a word from you. I need a word from heaven for what you're saying to us as a church and a spiritual community in this next season. Started talking to other pastors and spiritual leaders, both nationally and globally, and I started hearing different words when they talked about their church. One thing they talked about was, relaunching, especially in the church planting community. I don't know if we're a church plant anymore. We're now four years of age. We're more of a, a church shrub, I think. We're, we're more of a church hedge or tree. or something. I'm not a plant anymore. Four years. We're not new anymore. We've been doing this for a while. But a lot in the church planting community, they call it a relaunch. COVID has decimated and, and, and demolished so many systems and faces and People that did come and they fell off on their faith and their commitment. So they're talking about relaunching, almost like launch day. Like we had on September 17th, 2017, or September 19th, one of those days. It's like we had our launch Sunday. And they're like, you're going to have to relaunch. And that didn't sit right with me, relaunch. Relaunch gives me the analogy that something that was airborne fell to the ground. A, a, a satellite or a rocket had to relaunch and one thing I can say thankfully to God and thankful for our people is that we're not relaunching this fall. We've not crashed to the ground. We didn't explode in the air. We're not trying to do this from scratch and start over. Relaunch doesn't seem to fit our culture. Other pastors said words like rebuild. We've got to rebuild. There's been, things have been torn down. Things have fallen apart. We need to rebuild. And there's some truth to that. We're rebuilding teams. We're rebuilding uh, systems, we're rebuilding attendance and trying to figure out who do we have. And, but to be honest, we're not in ruins as a church. In fact, we've been blessed in this season because of God's goodness and your faithfulness. We're actually further ahead than we ever thought we could be. Our attendance has grown. Our online influence have grown. People, um, even I think of a couple this week that lost their mother to, uh, uh, in the hospital, never been in person, but because of online, they write us letters every single month talking about the encouragement they get. And I think about how we've grown financially. It's not been easy, but because of God's goodness and your faithfulness, we're actually having conversations as a leadership of what is the next step about a permanent facility because we're not just surviving, we're actually thriving financially. Only God could do that in a faithful church. So rebuilding doesn't fit when it comes out that we're not in ruins. It's not down to the foundations. We're not trying to figure out how to put walls back up and shelter. And then God spoke to me. He said, Mike, it's not a relaunching, it's not a rebuilding. I see it as a renovation. I believe God wants to renovate our lives. He wants to renovate our relationships. He wants to renovate his church. Seems like in culture now, 
There are two camps that are prevalent. Two different camps that are known. English is a great language. I'm still learning it. But two different camps right now that you run to and you see in every conversation, in person, online. There's the demolition camp and there's the rebuilding camp. Online is a dangerous place right now, isn't it? So much negativity and hate and divisiveness. And there's this demolition crowd. And it seems like in culture and government and all forms of society and even the church, there's a group bent on demolition. We've got to tear everything down. Everything is a mess. Everything doesn't work. We hate everything. Rip it all down from government to organizations to our protections, to our spiritual communities, rip it all down. They protest, they post, and there's this demolition crowd. You can't post anything online without getting someone wanting to tear it down. You can put on there, what a beautiful day, but someone will bring up something negative in the world. How dare you have a good day when there's this going on and every every silver lining has a cloud. Have you seen this on Facebook? It's, It's a dangerous place to be right now. You scared to even post anything a fear of offending someone, and people want to cancel and tear down. The demolition crowd, there's two reasons why they demolish. One is I've seen a critical spirit. It's more than just an opinion. It's a spirit. You just see it. It's always this negativity, this I have to rip something down, tear it down. It's opinionated. If you have four people, you have seven opinions. It's just an opinionated time in our culture. Just got to tear it down. And they're not happy unless everything is being torn down. People, organizations, cultures, even churches. The second part of the teardown demolition crowd is it actually comes from a purer place. It's not because of a critical spirit. It's because of a hurt spirit. It actually comes from a pure place where they've been traumatized by culture, organization, even churches have hurt people. And they're drumming up and remembering this trauma and they want to tear down because when they're confronted with that organization, that culture, that person, or even that spiritual community, all they see is pain and memory and they want to rip it down. It's very common to tear things down that cause pain. We as a province dealt with the greatest mass shooting in our nation's history and the second it happened, there was a cry and a move to tear down the gunsman's home and his businesses. We don't want any reminder that he was ever here. It's too painful. You see this with organizations that had great amount of abuse. They want to tear down the homes, the, the buildings where it took place because of the reminder to tear it down. You need to know today, some things need to be torn down. You have the demolition crowd, but then you also have the rebuilding crowd. The rebuilding crowd are at war with the demolition crowd. The rebuilding crowd put their identity into what they've built. Everything's personal. If you're coming against their organization or their culture or, or, or their business or what their community, they put so much identity into it, they think you're tearing them down. The rebuilding crowd wants to build things back the exact way it was. If a brick was removed, the brick goes back. If, if a wall was brought down, they want the wall brought back, and they want it built exactly like it was. You can always spot people that don't like change and only want to rebuild because they don't like anything to change. If their kids grow up and move out, they keep a room in their house exactly like it was when their kids left. 
Some of you don't look at your spouse right now, but your kids have moved out, they've gone to college, and instead of turning it into a man cave or an office, it's like, no, no, we're keeping this the exact same way it was, the same posters on the wall, the same clothes in the drawer, the same mess on the floor. Come on, somebody. We Why? We don't want to change it. It has to stay the same. And if something happens, you rebuild it the way it was. Same people go on vacation to the same spot, the same place, at the same time, every single year. That cottage is actually a dump because you had memories as a childhood. You see it as a memory. Don't dare touch it. Don't paint it. Don't add to it. Don't do anything. Keep that cottage the same. Some of you, it's your fashion. 1993 was a great year for you in fashion. You thought, I like it. I love it. I'm sticking with it. And you haven't changed for the last 30 years. You've been fighting to keep it the same way, including your hairstyle. That's where the comb over was invented. Some of you, you're in denial. Denial is more than a river in Egypt. The hair is not there. But you are combing over to fight it, going, I will keep it and rebuild it every morning with lots of hairspray to keep it the same way. We tuck things and prune things and move things. Why? Because we have to keep it the same way. I want to let you know today, God's not in the demolition camp. He is not in the rebuilding camp. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our plans. His spirit is stronger than our opinions. He's not relaunching. He's not rebuilding. God is in the business of renovations. You need to hear me today, church. God is in the renovation business. See, in renovations, there is always demolition, and then there is rebuilding, but it's always better than it was. See, God is both in the demolition business and the rebuilding business, but when he steps in, it's always a renovation. See, when you have flood damage because of trauma and some storm, you want the company to rebuild it like it was. But when someone says, hey, we're renovating our house, how many know, we all know, they're not putting it like it was in 1970, they are updating it. Come on, they're ripping out that shag carpet. Hear this from the Lord, the shag carpet's got to go somewhere in this place. The stucco ceiling is getting removed. That, 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 that projector TV that was bigger than your mama needs to go, and a flat screen needs to come in there. All of a sudden, you start renovating the appliances and the decor and, and the systems, and the heat pumps are coming in, and the, the furnace is going out, and the hardwood's coming in, and the plush carpet's going out. And when you renovate, it's always better than it was. I felt God say to us as a church that God is in the renovating business. And in this season of de uh, demolition and people striving to rebuild, I believe God wants to help our marriages, our parenting, our singleness, our purity, our devotion for him, and our gathering in person. He doesn't want to rebuild it. He wants to renovate it. God wants to improve it and make it better in this season. In John chapter 2, we read it. There were two camps. Jesus is in the temple. He's sitting there. There's a camp that wants to demolish everything that was there. The Jewish leaders and synagogue and teachers and the, and the Roman government had such an oppressive government and, and oppressive ways. Religion was tough. To, to live for God, to follow God the Father, you had to do animal sacrifices. You had to give a certain amount. You had to dress a certain way. You couldn't eat this. You had to eat that. You had to go at this time, and it was heavy, and it was hard. And there was a whole crowd saying, Jesus, rip the whole thing down. Let's demolish everything. Rise up against Caesar. Rise up against the leaders of the temple. Come on, let's burn the whole place down. There's another group that said, no, 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 we got to keep it as it is. All we have is our law. All we have is our traditions. And they saw Jesus as a threat to their traditions. And they ended up trying to kill him in order to keep what they had. 
But Jesus here, he said, no, no, I'm going to tear down this temple, not just to be a demolition team, but I'm about to renovate it. And he realized, and they realized that when he died, he was talking of himself. And he was in the temple, but he became the temple. He said, listen, I have a plan. My plan is better than your plan. My ways are higher than your ways. I'm going to die and raise from the dead, and I will be the temple. It's going to be an improvement. And we got an upgrade and a renovation when Jesus stepped into our lives. We don't have to give a certain amount or eat a certain thing or dress a certain way or have to go through rituals to get into God's presence. Because of our upgrade and our renovation, God's as close as the mention of his name. You don't need a priest or a pastor to get you through the gates, to get you to a place where you can confess to God and say, God, I need your forgiveness and your hope. From your bedroom to your car to the streets of this city, Jesus is with you, his presence is on you, and you have access to God. He died so everyone can have a way and be close to God. we got a renovation happening when Jesus steps into the scene. He's a renovating God, a new place where everyone can meet with God and know God. Jesus became our upgrade through renovation. What a year and a half this has been. Some of you, I, I follow you and seen your stories and we've talked and you've used this time well. Some of you have learned languages and taken courses online and you renovated your house and you fixed your property. Others of us have not used this time so well. Some of us, we just finished Netflix. That was our big claim to fame. We're waiting for Netflix point two to come out. Like just, we're done, finished it all, done. My favorite is Bob Ross painting, by the way. I just that, That's like the best thing ever. During COVID, I got hooked on this one show where they take old cars that are rusty. I mean, they're in a junkyard for 50 years. There's no window. There's no upholstery. You open up, the rats come out. There's more trees inside than anything else. The roof is gone. There's tires are gone. There's rust everywhere. Cars from the 50s and 60s. And I got hooked on this show where these guys would go down to this junkyard, and they go, what do you want to fix today? And they go, let's grab that thing. And they grab a, uh, an old car. I, here's what you need to know. I know nothing about cars. Some of you are like, duh. When we see the skinny jeans, we know. You know nothing about cars. Like, I know how to change a tire because I was taught that. But if I ever pop the hood on a car, I don't know why I'm doing it. I just know you're supposed to do it. And I'm looking for a light that says, this is wrong. Fix me. That's all I know. I don't know what, I don't know what tools are. I have no idea what a jigsaw. I don't know what a hand planer is. The screwdrivers. I don't call them by their right names. I call them the X. Come on, somebody. The square, the bigger square, and the straight line. Where are my people at? You know exactly what. Some of you are like, that is, that is horrible that you don't know. Phillips, I don't even know what Phillips was. A, uh, Wilson Phillips was a band in the 80s. I don't even know what Phillips is, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. I like cars. I like driving cars. I know I like looking at cars. I like cleaning cars. But I don't know anything about cars. This show would take an old car, and they'd start to restore it. And most of the shows uh, on, the, on, this, on this Netflix program taking an old car, and they take it and bring it back and restore it exactly like it was. Original paint, original seats, original dash, same tires. You'd buy that car, and people, people would be crying, going, you don't understand, my first car was a 1967 Mustang, and my father gave it to me before he went off, and, and he died. And when I see this car restored, it reminds me of my childhood, and thank you for restoring this car. It's beautiful. But once in a while on this show, they wouldn't restore a car, they'd renovate a car. They'd get this car, and they'd sit there, and they'd go, let's get that car, let's take that car. And they'd bring it out, and they'd do original paint. They're like, oh, man, look, put the original tires on it. And when they'd unveil it and bring it out, you'd go, that's awesome, that's a 67 Mustang, that's fantastic, that's a 
That's a Chevelle, man. That's a, that, that's a, that's a triple B. That, that's fantastic. That, that's a roadrunner. Look at that thing. That thing's beautiful. But when you got up close to it and they'd open the doors, they'd go, no, 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 we, we didn't bring it back to original. We gave her some upgrades. We, we renovated this thing. You'd open it up and you get inside and it wasn't the technology from the 60s. Now this thing, I, I, my wife would come and like, Nancy, get in here. They took the small block out and put the big block in. She's like, who are you? And what have you done to my husband? I'm like, there's a double wishbone suspension on this thing. They now have air conditioning, GPS, and a touchscreen display. She's like, what are you talking about? Look at this car. It looks like a normal car. It looks like an original car. But it's completely different on the inside. Listen to me. That's a picture of what Jesus does when he comes into your life. Listen, you look like you from 20 years ago. You may still have the skinny jeans and the side part. You may be rocking the bell bottoms and the comb over. When Jesus comes into your life, people may not see the difference at your work or at your home, but something happened on the inside. You now have a Holy Ghost, GPS. Before, you were going direction based on your feelings or your urges or your cravings or your attractions. But when God comes into your life, something changes. You're not following your mood or your feelings, but now you're being drawn by the Spirit of God. And God said, I have a plan that's better than your plan. And I will direct the steps of a righteous man. You notice this will have a two-wheel drive engine. You've got horsepower now and four-wheel drive. What used to get stuck before, you get stuck with that offense and that attitude and that temptation, man, I can't get out of this. That substance was a problem for me. That person was a problem for me. That attitude was a problem for me. I was offended and I was stuck in the mud of life. Now, God says, no, no, you may look like the same person, but I'm giving you my spirit, my power. Now you've got four-wheel drive to get out of the mud. Now you got some horsepower. Now you're not just getting down the highway. You're moving down the highway. You're not just getting through life. Now you're making a difference in life. Now you're actually towing other people out of the ditch that used to get you stuck in for years. Now you're like, I used to be there. But I got a restoration in my life. I got a renovation in my life. I might look the same. Come on. I might sound the same, but I'm different on the inside. God wants to renovate our lives. He wants to renovate our church. Listen to me, church. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some things that might be challenging. But I've learned this. If Jesus doesn't challenge you, he's not your God, he's your pet. And Jesus doesn't always agree with us. If your God always agrees with you, that's a pet, not a God. Next few weeks, we're going to talk about things that are tough in our culture and in our church. This is what I thought the Lord said to me. I want to encourage you today. Don't let all the demolition of the last 19 months be in vain. If all you see is demolition, we haven't had services. We're so-and-so. They used to be here. Man, that business didn't make it. That marriage didn't make it. That relationship didn't make it. And all you see is the criticism and the demolition. You'll be in despair. But if you see that the God that makes all things new, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that Jesus makes all things new. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, the demolition's not in vain. It may be down, but it's not out. It may be in despair. It may be removing things, but God is a setup for a comeback to help us, and he's going to start renovating and rebuilding. Don't let the last 19 months be in vain. Some of you, your faith has become weaker during this time. Gathering kept you strong, and you realize, I don't think I know Jesus as much. I knew church. I didn't know Jesus. Some of you are realizing, you know what? I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And God has stripped you down to your spirit only to build you up stronger than you ever were. Listen, don't let the demolition be in vain. 
God's got a plan for this church. He's got a plan for your lives. He's got a plan for your relationships. Not to rebuild it. We're not living for 2019. Oh, if we could just go back to 2019. No, sir. No, ma'am. God's not a rebuilding God. He's a renovating God. He says, I'm coming back and I'm making it greater. He says, I did these works, but you will do greater. There are greater works for the church than we've ever seen. Some things need to be tore down. But then God wants to build and build and renovate. I believe he's going to do it in our church. I believe he's going to do it in your life. I believe he's going to do it with us. He's a renovating God. He's a renovating God. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Church, I felt the Lord say in my spirit, it's a new season for Nova. Not just in person, not just trying to get back to what we had. It's a new season. I'm going to unpack next week and the week after and the week after that what I feel God's saying to us as a church. Change is here. It's an upgrade. It's a renovation. More of his power, more of his presence, and more for his people. Miracle moments what God has for this season. All over this place, can we stand to our feet as we get ready to close? In a moment, in person, we're going to enjoy a food truck and, and petting zoo. You online, you can go have toast or whatever you have in your kitchen. But I'd be amiss in this moment not to give you a chance, both online and in person, to let Jesus renovate your life. You started this live stream one way, but you can leave here better. You can leave here new. The Bible says that when Jesus comes into your life, the old life is gone. And some of you are like, I got some old stuff I need gone. I got some old stuff that's been hanging on. I need a fresh start. I need a new chance. New starts are very rare in life. But Jesus says, not just in life, but in eternity, I can give you a new start. In a moment, some of you, I'm going to give you a chance to pray this prayer. When you walk out of online or this building, you may look like you. You may sound like you. You may dress like you. But you're going to be renovated in your heart. God's going to start something new in your spirit. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that a miracle happens in your life. Jesus comes in and makes you new. No longer do life alone. He leads us. He's with us. With every head bowed just for a moment, every eye closed, you say, Mike, both online and in person, you say, I don't know Jesus. I know of church. I even know this church. But I'm very much aware that I don't know Jesus as a friend. I don't know Jesus as Lord. I don't know him as a leader in my life. You can know him right now. In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, but if you say, Mike, I want you to say that prayer with me. I, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. All over this place, can you just raise your hand? Is every head bowed? Just real quick, raise your hand real high and put it right back down. Thank you. Put it right back down. Thank you. Put it right back down. Anyone else? Take a moment. Anyone else? Thank you. Church, can we all pray this together? The two or three people that put their hand up, they're going to pray this, but can we do it with them? Can you repeat after me these words? It's not a formula at all. But there's something about hearing your voice. And there's something about heaven hearing your voice. Declare Jesus as Lord of your life. Say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Would you renovate me? Would you heal me? Would you help me? I believe that you're God. Forgive my past. Help me today and lead me tomorrow. I need you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, can we give a round of applause for those people today?
I'm believing for an unlocked passion in our church. If I was an American preacher, I'd be like, don't come back here unless you're excited next week. But I'm Atlantic Canadian, so I'll apologize for that comment. But I believe God wants to renovate something. Our effectiveness, our passion, our holiness. Some things need to be torn down just to make way for an upgrade in our life, in your marriage, in your singleness, in our church. God wants to do something. Amen. Father, bless your church. Bless them as they go. As the church goes mobile in just a moment, offline, inside this building, I bless them with your presence, and I bless them with your voice. In the name of Jesus Christ, everyone said.